Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Music, 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 music. Hey, speaking of music, do you have a good weekend? Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I had one of the most full weekends that I've had in a really long time. Yeah. It was full of fun and adventure and friends and, music, and right? family and music. Yes. Jazz music, to be precise. Mm-hmm. Uh, our local community put on a really awesome event called the Defiance Jazz Fest. Our company was one of the sponsors. And I was interested in going anyway because it just seemed really cool. Yeah, it had been rained out two years ago. Last year, it got coveted out. They've done it a few years before that. But this year, man, we got to go. The first time that I got to go, you came, you yeah. brought your family. I came and I brought my family. And there were a lot of families there and a lot of people in the community there. And there was some awesome music. Really good music. It was the first time that I had gone to this event. Like you said, rained out, coveted out. Um, but I guess it's been going for a little bit longer than that, a few years at least. But I, I just never made it. And it's a really cool event. I'm not a big jazz guy, but I, I appreciate music. And my goodness, there were some really, really good musicians out there. Yeah, it was awesome. The, there's a local a jazz band in Defiance that's that mostly horns, like trumpets, sax, mm-hmm. trombone. I cannot remember what they're called. They were really good. We can find that out real they, quick. Yeah, they kind of played the intermissions and stuff in between. They were really good. They played a lot more of the, I guess, songs that you might know a little bit. Well, that's kind of jazz, right? <laughs> jazz just happens. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you usually don't like know a lot of the songs that are being played because they're taking shape in front of you. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really cool event. Each band played for a while. It was jazz, man. I got the lineup here. It was good. The Fort Defiance Dixieland Jazz Band played, okay. and that was great to have the hometown guys there. Yep. Then Gaetano Letizia played. Also, he's a quite awesome jazz guitar player. Yeah. Uh, they, had a, they had a talented band that was playing with him. After that was Snaps for Sinners, which was from far away, I believe. And they were the least jazzy band of them all. Uh, But they were young guys, and they made me think more about the times that I spent touring in a band. (laughs) You can check them out on Spotify. Uh, They had a really unique sound. I really enjoyed getting to hear them. They're also, I noticed they're on Amazon Music, too. If you're a Prime Mm -hmm. subscriber, I think there's a couple other albums that you can download and check out. Uh, They were really unique. Like you said, not necessarily a a jazz band, but they had a lot of different elements from a lot of different flavors of music. We'll just put it that way. Oh, yeah. They were all over the spectrum. It was it was like folky, jazzy inspired indie pop rockish. They were a lot of fun. Their their songs were a blast. And I mean, in between wrangling my kids and trying to keep (laughs) my eyes on all of them as they ran all about the park, I got to listen to them and they were a lot of fun. Yeah. After them, a bona fide jazz band, the Bobby Floyd Trio played. They, uh-huh. they closed it out. And holy cow, were Real they talented. Yeah. yeah, super, super tight right here in Little little Defiance. Great job, Defiance. What a, what an event. It was really cool. Even if you're not into jazz, if you're in the area, <laughs> make sure you check it out next year. It's worth it. Definitely. Yeah. Our families enjoyed it. Um, it seemed like the whole community came out to support it and really enjoyed it. Had a lot of cool vendors and you know, food trucks, um, macaroons. <laughs> um, those yes. were insane, by the way, weren't they? Oh, man. I didn't know that I loved them so much. I love I, baking, and I have never had the courage to try making macaroons because I know they're really, really oh, yeah. finicky. That, right. Uh, those were good. Yeah, I, I have never really liked macaroons, I got to admit. And these ones, these are phenomenal. Peanut butter and jelly macaroon. Oh, oh my goodness. Um yeah, exceptional. Um, gosh, I don't know. We bought a couple dozen in, uh, between <laughs> our families, I think. So really, really good. Oh, yeah. Food was good. Kona ice, all that fun stuff. It was just a great event. There were smoked um, meats there. I had some yeah. of those. That was good. Yeah, I didn't oh. get any of um, of Maverick when I was out there. The, the Maverick smokehouse. Yeah, that was, that was good. Good pulled pork I had. And boy, just kudos to all the people that mm-hmm. put that whole event together. It was great. Uh, yeah. Like I said, we, we kind of sponsored it. Uh, as one of the sponsors, and we'll we'll probably try to be a bigger sponsor next year because it was so cool. Yeah, um, and then we had an ulterior motive going there <laughs> a little <didn't> bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were there shamelessly self-promoting. 
But not really. I don't I don't think we were a nuisance to anybody. Hopefully not. But we, we were out talking about the podcast, weren't we? Yeah. Handed out a lot of t-shirts, got a lot of email addresses, got some new subscriptions to the podcast. We've seen a spike in downloads here, so I think maybe that it's working a little bit. Met a lot of cool people who just happen to like podcasts and some bourbon fans. <laughs> and even if they didn't like podcasts, we got to meet them and talk to them. <laughs> yeah. It was a blast. Yeah, we ran around with a clipboard and gave out some of our t-shirts and that bottle of Blantons that we're giving away in this contest. Yeah, that, that got some looks, didn't it? Well, Walking it would be... around we... with that uh, empty Blantons box. <laughs> yeah, we took the bourbon out of it just in case there was any problem with it. Hey, but Caleb, I want to do something. I'd like to mm-hmm. shout out those people that we met there that took the time to sign up for our mailing list. Cool. This could very well be the first episode of Old Fashioned Finance that they are listening to. Uh, maybe not, but if they stuck around, I want to express some gratitude to them because even if they don't win the bottle of bourbon, they got to hear their name on this okay. prestigious podcast. Go for it. Thank you very much to Chris and Andrea and Bobby and Savannah and Maddie, Alex, Sean, Amy, Kaylee, Luke, Steve, Mike, Kristen, Bill, Danielle, Angie, Aaron, Brooke, Christy for being the first page of our signers of this <laughs> mailing list slash t-shirt giving away slash bourbon giveaway sign up yeah. sheet. Remember, if you get emails from us, you signed up for it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try not to spam people and we will not sell your information. If you want to no. be entered into this contest, you all send an email to speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com and prove that you have subscribed to our podcast with a screenshot or something like swear an oath. I don't know. And you'll just be, be honest. Yeah, be, be honest. Just be honest. You'll be entered to win this bottle of Blanton's and we'll draw that at the end of July and we'll reveal that winner on the show. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to that quite a bit. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening, you might already be subscribed. So that's easy enough, right? You've already done the hard work. You've subscribed. You've listened. Shoot us your email address. Let us know that you subscribe somehow. But also, we'd like you to spread the word, too. So if you happen to refer somebody to the podcast, let us know their name, and we'll we'll just verify that the email address is out there, and uh, we'll, we'll get you another entry into the drawing for this coveted bottle of brown water. First of all, if you're not a big bourbon drinker, realize this stuff is really hard to get. It's kind of a big deal, so yeah. you should get in on this, whether <laughs> you like it or not. It'd be an awesome gift for somebody that does yeah. like bourbon. <laughs> Absolutely. We talked to a couple people who said, man, I don't like bourbon, but I'll tell you what, I know somebody who would really like this as a gift. Okay, sign up, spread the word, and we'll make sure to get you in the uh, the drawing. <laughs> and then we had, the other, we had other people like Alex from this list who I was like, you can sign up to win this bottle of bourbon. It'd be awesome. I don't know if you know about it very much. She's like, which letter is on the cap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I knew right away. A. It's, it's a. an A, and you know about bourbon, sir, uh, because you, you need an A. Even if you don't, you kind of need one, right? We got right? an A. <laughs> we have an A. <laughs> so, yeah, that was fun. I had a great time. Was it was blast. fun meeting new people. Um, it's always a little easier to approach people and just strike up conversation when you've got a bottle of highly coveted, coveted bourbon that you're trying to give out. It was a good time. I look forward to it again next year. Uh, sounds like it's going to be even bigger and better from what they're talking Bring about. Bring the jazz so. on to Little Defiance, Ohio. It's great. It's We like it. We got a little jazz intro to our show. I think it fits in good, you know? Yeah. Good stuff. We didn't hear that song this weekend. No, nobody played the old I guess jazz fire. only happens once, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. What else we got going on here before we jump into the uh, the heavy hitting finance and drink topics? Yeah, the you know it, Caleb. The big thing around the <laughs> office right now is preparing for a surge of our client review appointments. Here where we work, we, we kind of stack our client appointments all into one fell swoop uh, so we can really... Uh, Try to be as efficient as possible. And we're doing one of those surge review meetings next week. So we're really getting prepped for that, preparing agendas and making sure we're all ready to go to meet with dozens and dozens of our clients. It's a lot of work. It's really exciting, though. If you're listening to this episode, it's already happened. If you came to our surge meetings, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of preparation. So uh, recording this little podcast is a nice little respite from all the, the busyness at the office. So I look forward to today's episode. I don't know about you. I think this is going to be a fun one. I'm probably looking forward to it a little more than you are. (laughs) I love doing these shows. I love talking about the finance. And I tell you, I usually 
love the cocktails and the learning about the history and then and then the drinking of the cocktails. But, you know, maybe not so much this time. Yeah, we've somehow I'm not sure how it happened. We've gotten into a little bit of a vodka thing. If you've listened to the show, you know that we're not big fans of vodka. We've said some pretty mean things about (laughs) vodka, actually. Vodka, if you're listening, I mean every one of them. (laughs) But somehow we stacked up a couple of episodes in a row here that include vodka. Uh, Last week, we did the Harvey Wallbanger, and we associated that with... um, you know, not a great topic. Um, but this week I have higher hopes uh, for, for a vodka-based drink. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, this this one kind of plays into my flavor palette a little bit more. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Bloody Marys uh, as our cocktail. Um, and we're also going to be talking about how to create a personal balance sheet. Yes, balance sheets yes. and Bloody Marys. I'm looking forward to the Bloody Mary because I like those uh, salty flavors, the tomato juice. uh, You know, you can put an olive in there, that kind of stuff. So without further ado, Jason, how do we make a Bloody Mary? First of all, there's a lot of different ways to make a Bloody Mary. The the main ingredient is, is of course, tomato juice and vodka. Uh, So just to really cut through this and without going into the controversy of the Bloody Mary. (laughs) That's controversy for... Those of you out there, not yeah. Following. I just I, I've seen that we do have some uh, folks over the pond listening occasionally, so I wanted to give them a little taste of home. Cool, and thank you. You're welcome. Not you. I mean, people listening overseas. Oh yeah, yeah. So the IBA, Bye. the IBA recipe <laughs> is this, and it's international. So uh, those folks over the pond will get it. Forty-five milliliters vodka, ninety milliliters tomato juice. I mean, tomato, tomato juice, 15 milliliters fresh, fresh lemon juice, two dashes Worcestershire sauce, Tabasco, (laughs) celery, salt, pepper up to taste, Uh, stir gently all the ingredients in a mixing glass with ice, pour into rocks glass, note if requested, served with ice, pour into highball glass. So we basically did this at about two to one tomato juice to vodka. So two ounces tomato juice, an ounce of vodka, about a quarter of an ounce of lemon juice couple dashes of Worcestershire, Tabasco, celery, salt, and pepper. Celery, salt, and pepper. Celery, salt, and pepper. Yeah. I think I said that. I I don't know. I threw a couple of olives in mine, too. Of course you would. uh, (laughs) I like the brininess, and it plays off of the the tomato juice and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I got to tell you, I liked it. And this is the, I think this is the first Bloody Mary I've had. So we went right with the IBA cocktail uh, recipe. And I liked it. I, I like tomato juice, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it sounds weird, but every once in a while, I just I, I get a hankering for a little bit of tomato juice. I don't love this drink because of the vodka. <laughs> I think I like this drink because I can't taste the vodka over the tomato juice and the Tabasco and the, the salt and pepper. The, I think the tomato juice and the pepper and the olives... I could probably drink this just fine without any booze in it and be okay with <laughs> There's it. There's a lot going on in there. I don't know how you would taste the vodka with all that stuff <laughs> happening. I wasn't quite like you, though it did make me remember my childhood and having tomato soup and grilled cheese, which mm. was my least favorite of the budget meals my mother would make. Um, I did, So it was weird. I drank the Bloody Mary. It was my first Bloody Mary I've ever had, too, Caleb. And oh, I didn't know the, that. The first thing I said to you was like, I think I might like it with more tomato juice. And then you called yeah. me out because five minutes later, I'm like, I don't like tomato juice. No, we, we made it. And you said, I'm going to hate this. I'm going to hate this. And then you drank it. And you went, whoa, I think I like this. But you know what? I, I could use a little more tomato juice. And I said, you, you said you were going to hate this because you hate tomato juice. And then by the time we sat down and hit the button, you go, no, I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> it was confusing because I had great memories of my childhood. I think tasting the tomato, uh, but no, I don't like it. It's too salty. I'm a sweet tooth <laughs> and uh, I like the Tabasco and the pepper, I think, but I just don't like tomato. I, I like it. And actually it makes me excited to get into the longer we do this podcast, the more adventurous we're going to get with some of the drinks. And I am really excited to get into the world of hot peppers and Tabascos and di- just different hot sauces and things like that with cocktails. This is a maybe a, kind of a gateway drug <laughs> to go that way a little then bit. Then I will just hang my hat and look forward to every month's Manhattan Project episode where I can just oh, have a Manhattan. Well. 
yeah. I think we're both looking forward to the next one. Oh man. Okay. Is that is that, is that next actually? I think so. We should be. Maybe Let's do more. it. Let's do it even if it's not. Uh, <laughs> did you get any history on the Bloody Mary? Oh my you? goodness, did I? Uh the Bloody Mary has been one of the most interesting to research and and the best resource I found on it was from Difford's guide. And if you want to know about mm-hmm. cocktails, this this Difford fella writes really well. Um, he has more information than we'll be, ever be able to give, give to you all in just this podcast. But I'll give the summary. Basically, nobody knows who made it. Nobody knows who invented it. Like three different guys have a really good claim to it. We got Harry Craddock at Harry's Bar, uh, Harry's New York Bar in Paris, which is a really famous cocktail bar. They have a good uh-huh. claim on it. Um, hey, isn't that the guy that wrote Savoy's cocktail yes, book? And he is yeah. notorious for stealing cocktail recipes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we talked about that in the uh, Delilah or the White Lady episode, didn't we? Right. He claims to have invented the uh, the White Lady, the Chelsea sidecar, and he probably didn't, according to all of the research. <laughs> the same is true with the Bloody Mary. Um, so I just I'll kind of breeze through the summary that Difford gives in his Difford's guide on this because he did a ton of research. So do me a favor and go to Differdsguide.com and read the Bloody Mary cocktails, how to make in the history of it, because I'm just going to be scratching the surface here. But basically, there's a ton of controversy. There's a ton of contradictory information. The Bloody Mary probably started as the oyster cocktail with like clam juice and oyster Ooh. juice. Um, it probably began without any alcohol in it. So you were saying you liked mm-hmm. it. You could probably drink it without the vodka. It, pro- yeah. it, it probably started as some sort of hangover cure oh, okay. based in tomato juice, uh, clam juice and that sort of thing. So the oyster cocktail started, which stood aside for the tomato juice cocktail, which was helped along by Louis Perrin, who served tomato juice in his French Licks restaurant, but only when he ran out of orange juice. So tomato juice as an orange juice sub- substitute. That was Weird. all the way back in 1917 that people were doing that. Then there was George Jessel, uh, who I don't know a lot about, but he was like a, a comedian and an actor and uh, entertainer. He loved tomato juice and probably loved learned to love it from that bar. And he came up with the Bloody Mary recipe, most likely. There's rumors that it was Sloan's New York bar or Macalone's Harry's New York bar where the Bloody Mary was conceived, but it probably didn't start either in either of those places. It was probably this George Jessel uh, loving tomato juice and just deciding to add some booze to it. Now, Hmm. vodka history in the United States, the Bloody Mary is an American drink, but vodka didn't come to the U.S. until probably the 1930s or 40s when there was a big Russian immigration. It was usually gin that was used before that. We've talked about that some. Yeah. There's a whole gin Bloody Mary cocktail that's called the Red Snapper. And there's oh. there's controversy on whether or not the Red Snapper came first. The Red Snapper is actually just another name for the Bloody Mary. Or if it is the gin infused drink instead of vodka. So, so is it basically the same stuff but substitute gin? That's exactly it. It's the same exact drink but just with gin. So, All right. Would you be willing to try that? No. <laughs> I won't. Dr- I won't waste gin on that. I would rather have a gin and tonic or a martini. Okay. <laughs> so that's it, man. I mean, there's a lot more to that. Read that article out there, listeners, if you really want to know and have a, a good time reading about the Bloody Mary because it's a good fun story. But long story short, nobody knows. It's probably started as a hangover cure without vodka, and then somebody's like, "Hey, let's put some vodka in there." Because <laughs> the best thing for a hangover is more alcohol. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Cool. So. Uh, Bloody Marys. I like them. I'm willing to try the gin version. I think I'm going to do that and report back to you. But in the meantime, let's transition into the finance topic today. Yeah. We are going to talk about how to create a personal balance sheet today, Jason. Yeah. (laughs) Ka-ching. Yeah, a personal balance sheet. Uh, so this this kind of falls in the same category as our budget episode. It's something that may seem very accounting-y to people. It might sound boring, uh, but mm-hmm. we really want to throw this forward as um, having like your balance sheet, your personal financial statement, your your net worth down on paper is really, really valuable. So first, let's describe what is the personal balance sheet? Okay. So a balance sheet, basically, like you said, it's important to kind of have this stuff down on paper or computer, whatever, somewhere where you can look at it. it this is a statement of your personal net worth, essentially. Mm-hmm. There's a few elements and we'll get into how to create a balance sheet. Um, it's not terribly difficult. If you've taken an accounting class in high school or in college, 
Um, this should make sense to you. We're not necessarily going to, we're not talking about why, you know, how to actually, we're going to talk about how to actually create a balance sheet, but the importance is not in the how, it's the why and what it stands for. And really, I think, uh, uh, you know, we're run, running into, we talked about it before, our surge appointments that are coming up here. I'm always surprised when I get t- together with clients and we talk about assets and liabilities and things like that. And people really don't know where they're at. They don't know where their net worth is at. They don't know how much debt they're carrying. They don't know what their assets look like. And if you're going to put together a decent financial plan uh, or a, a plan of attack, if you will, the first thing you have to start with is what are you working with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, where are you right now? Uh, uh, a balance sheet is a snapshot in time of your current financial situation. It's it's where you are. Yeah, we talk about all the time goal planning and where we want to go, but it's really hard to set out and plan for where you want to go if you don't know where you are. Yeah, and a lot of people don't want to do this for the same reason they don't <laughs> want to do a budget, and that is that they're afraid of what they'll find. Yeah. Really, I think to dispel some like notions that we could talk about what a balance sheet is not. It's not a bummer. It's not a thing to tell you what you can't do. <laughs> it's not it's not supposed to depress you, I guess. It's it's a starting place in a lot of scenarios. It's an objective snapshot. It's to show you where you are. Yeah. Where you go with that is up to you. If you have goals, it's going to show you how you're actually progressing towards your goals. You might have a great financial plan. You may have these pie in the sky kind of goals. And your balance sheet is a way to periodically check in and, and check the progress on your goals. Yeah. You might have the best plan of action in place, but if you're not practically doing it and your balance sheet reflects that, um, that's like go- that, it's like taking your temperature. <laughs> yeah. In a way, a balance sheet is like that outcome. So you have all the goal planning. Let's say we were talking about uh, financial infidelity in a previous episode, and we talked about budgeting and, and getting mm-hmm. on the same page with your spouse or, or whatever. But you're going through the emotional process of finding out what money means to you and what fears you have with money and then what your goals are and what you want to accomplish in life and all that really heavy stuff like what's the meaning mm-hmm. of life and how can you use money to to serve that purpose and once you get all of that kind of down the balance sheet is really just that binary thing to do you go and you list your assets everything that you own and then you you list your liabilities you list everything that you owe. There's not really a lot of emotion in that part. That's just what it is. So going back a couple of of episodes ago, I'll I'll go back to the budgeting episode because this really does go hand in hand. You mentioned that you and your wife are going to have a budgeting meeting. And I said, boy, report back to me and let me know how that goes. Because that can be a very emotionally charged meeting. It can be a very... um, it can be indicative of a lot of problems. Uh, it's it. I want to say it's. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a diagnostic process. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the balance sheet is really a cut and dry, objective. Here is where we are. It's not the how we can fix it. Now it may be a barometer for how we're progressing, but that that's. Yeah. It's a less emotional way of tracking your progress. The budgeting meeting can be very emotionally charged. It can be. You know, fingers can be pointed. Yeah, it's really value. Financial based. infidelity. Yeah, yeah that all that stuff can kind of come up. It's 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 really this is a way to kind of take the emotions out of it and just see where are we, where do we want to be, how are we really progressing? Mm-hmm. When we look at this six months from now, where do we want to be? When we do this again and we check in, we're going to be able to hold ourselves accountable. And again, in a very objective way. Uh, so, I think the big thing, really, we talked about what it is. We've kind of talked about why to create one. Let's go into that a little bit further. Why is it so important to have a balance sheet, Jason? So you know what you have. So like for a quick example, we just said everything that you own is you have the assets and you have the liabilities on your balance sheet. So maybe I don't want to go over anybody's head uh, or talk past anyone. Um, so oh, like, you could never so, do that. <laughs> so like on the <laughs> asset side, I just wanted to give quick examples like uh the market value of your home, like if you were to sell it, mm-hmm. that's an asset. Usually, if you own a home, it's one of your biggest assets. Uh, obviously, then uh, the amount of any investments that you have and and bank account balances and um, any uh, kind of appreciating assets you might want to put in there. I've seen people throw cars in there and furniture and 
um, you know, other goods and collectibles, you can put that in yeah, there too. Gun collection. Yeah. If there's a real market uh, value to it, go ahead and put it as an asset. And then, yeah. and then liabilities. Like you have got your house on the asset side. You've got your mortgage on the liability side. You've got any consumer debt that you might have. So, I, I, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but let's let's talk oh, about the simplicity yes, you of this. Do. You did that on purpose, <laughs> Caleb. I I just wanted to wreck your train of thought. Um, I know how fragile that can be sometimes. <laughs> I am not going to recover in the next ten minutes. <laughs> um, we talked. You talked about your home, right? A lot of people say that that's the that's your biggest asset. That's your biggest asset, and not considering the liability side of it. So, quite simply. If you have a home that is worth $250,000, you would put that on the asset side. If you have a $175,000 mortgage, though, you don't really have a $250,000 asset there. The net worth, the breakdown there is you have $50,000 in positive equity. No, I'm sorry, $75,000. <laughs> Did I say two fifty dollars or two twenty-five? dollars You said, definitely said two fifty. Two fifty. dollars You owe $175,000. That's $75,000 in net worth if you were to liquidate, right? It can be that simple. Mm-hmm. You're taking things that can be counted as an asset and a liability and, and basically boiling it down to if you sold everything that you had today and paid off all of your debts, where would you be? Yep. And that'll come to the net worth then. So really any of the things that you owe will go on the liability side. Your net worth is the things that you own minus the stuff that you owe. That's it. That's what you're worth on paper. And that's what we're working towards getting. So what's funny about this is the like the mortgage or the house, right? That can be looked at as an asset and a liability. But, you know, this isn't one of those uh, good debt versus bad debt episodes, although it could kind of morph into that a little bit. But, um, you know, take your credit card balances, for example. You're throwing something on the liability side and you're not putting anything on the asset side. That's that's not great for the balance. Sheet, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um it does force you to look at things in that regard. I have this asset that carries this liability. You know, on the flip side here, mortgages, uh, when we when we talk about mortgages and real estate values and things like that, not a lot of people are upside down in their properties right now. But, you know, go back 15 years ago, 13 years ago, you know, I'm thinking the 08, 09 financial crisis, that time period. If you looked at your balance sheet, you might see a $250,000 house with a $350,000 mortgage. Um, so again, not a good debt versus bad debt situation, but it does kind of force you to look at what you're doing, what kind of debts you have, uh, if they're, uh, I hate to say it, but justifiable or not. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, that that goes right into why you should have a balance sheet because it kind of changes your thought process on purchases yeah. that you make, what you're willing to go into debt for. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it can kind of, you, you can realign and it does fit into what your values are. And you can see if your if your balance sheet lines up, it's a snapshot. You can't change your balance sheet like immediately, because if you go mm-hmm. ahead and sell your house to pay off your mortgage, your, your net worth, your net worth doesn't change. Uh, you just yeah. have maybe a little cash extra <laughs> or something like that. So it doesn't, you take money out of savings to pay off your credit card the net effect is the yeah. same. So this is something that, and maybe yeah. that is a good idea from a cash flow perspective, from a risk standpoint, but from a balance sheet perspective, it doesn't really change anything. You can't, it, it can be in dick. It can be a good marker of where you are right now. And I yeah. think that's a great reason for it. You know, it's good that you brought up the budgeting and the financial infidelity episode, uh, because I think one of the main reasons that you should have a balance sheet and you should review it periodically. And if you're married, you should go over it with your spouse is to create that awareness of how you're doing. Are you moving towards your goals? And in Mm -hmm. my own situation, like this is flooring me. I bet if Joe's listening to this show, (laughs) you know, she is. Hopefully I will have already gone over our balance sheet with her before this. I just realized how we do not do that. Uh, I know what our net worth is. I'm not sure she does. And I don't know that she cares as as much as me, but we don't review it like all of the assets that we have and the liabilities. Yeah. I mean, if if you think about this, the budgeting conversation is a lot harder conversation to have. You probably have that more often than you have the the balance sheet conversation. But because of how emotional that conversation can be, you can turn that into a subjective conversation such as, well, no, we really do need X amount a month for entertainment Mm -hmm. things like that. Whereas this snapshot you can't lie your way around it. You can't twist it. It is objective. It is, like you said, a snapshot in time. 
And I think it's really interesting if you put something like this together, let's say every quarter or every six months or every year, whatever, semi-regularly. But let's let's look, for example, um, at someone who is, you know, further on in their career as, as they, they make these these little snapshots and they're making more money. However, you look at the balance sheet and it's roughly staying the same. You know, that should cause you to look at things and say, hey, we're making 25% more than we did a year ago, yet our balance sheet is the same. What's going on there? That can be an indication of a budgeting problem. Yeah. Maybe you have that budgeting meeting and you see nothing wrong with the budget, but you take a look at the balance sheet and that's telling you something completely different. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of different benchmarks out there for where you should be in this, but it is really relative to you know what your goals are on, on what your net worth should be. I think we ignore net worth to our peril because like you said, it's it's such a good snapshot and, and I, it identifies uh, where we're at and where we're going. Yeah, I think the biggest value to having a personal balance sheet, and, and it doesn't have to be fancy, by the way, it doesn't have to be an intricate Excel document. There are some of us out there who love Excel and would consider themselves Excel nerds, but it can be as simple as the back of a napkin at dinner with your spouse, mm-hmm. right? Draw a line down the middle, draw a line across the top. You put assets on one side, you put liabilities on the other side, bank accounts, properties that you own. Maybe it's the gun collection, your IRA or 401k balance. On the other side, you're going to put your loans, your student loans, your mortgage, uh, your credit cards and that kind of stuff. And and you, you do the math, add one side up, add the other side up. What's the difference? It's really, really simple to do. So I almost feel uh, we, you know, a couple weeks ago talked about how important budgeting is. If you've had trouble sitting down with your significant other, or even just yourself, if you're single and you're doing this on your own, if you've really had trouble breaking into that budgeting conversation, a really good place to start is see where you're at today and do a personal balance sheet. I might go back and say that, you know, if, if we could annotate the budgeting episode, this is where I would start, honestly, is let's see where I'm at. Let's see where I need to go. And that really helps to kind of dictate the budget. So yeah, awareness is really, really the important thing. I think by having it on paper, I've said this before on previous episodes, I've said it about any financial goals, really. There's some psychology to goal setting. If it's on paper, if it's you know somewhat tangible, you're more likely to reach your goals. And I think the same thing goes with checking in periodically from time to time, uh, seeing it physically there on paper you're going to hold yourself more accountable if it's there, it's in your face, it's almost tangible. That's kind of the way I look at it. You're just more more likely to stick to it if you can see it, if you can touch it, you can feel it, you can write it down and there it is. I think it'll motivate you too. So this awareness of having it and how it ties into your budget, like it, it can motivate you. You can see that big number move. And mm-hmm. I think that... Um, and the reason that it's important, the reason that it should motivate you is because it's a really good bellwether of if you're moving towards your goals or not. Is your net worth increasing? Um, is And if it is, you're probably moving in the right direction. You have to mm-hmm. balance that with uh, with your lifestyle and the expenses that you have right now. Um, but it does help in a, in a bigger sense. It can help you with making decisions like, should I, should I spend all this money on... Uh, college should i spend all this money on a car that's a bigger one like yeah is 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 buying a seventy five thousand dollar truck gonna increase my net worth (laughs) overall well we just said i at first if you if you take a loan out or you take money from your savings account whatever you do that first day that you do it that snapshot of the balance sheet it will not change your net worth you will have either gotten a loan for it and you have the asset or you will have taken cash out of your savings account and you have the asset. It's a wash. Your net worth Mm -hmm. stays the same the day you buy that truck. However, a few years down the road, as you keep checking in with your balance sheet, or if you're thinking, if it's top of mind, I want to increase my net worth as I I age, uh, that truck is probably not going to appreciate in value. In fact, it's probably going to depreciate a lot. And this is probably another episode talking about cars because I have I I have offended so many people talking about (laughs) cars and buying them. But um, then the reason I come at it that way is from this exact scenario, looking at a balance sheet, your net worth over time, you buy a depreciating asset and over time, your net worth has actually gone backwards on that transaction. 
Whereas yeah. if you would have taken, you know, maybe made a more modest investment in that, or you tried to cash flow college, or you tried to cash flow a vehicle, or you bought a less expensive one, and you invested the difference, you put money from your income into an investment, the investment grows. Now your net worth is higher. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how doing a balance sheet can impact your actual decisions. It gives a good motivation uh, towards doing a budget and sacrificing a little now uh, because yeah. you see that big number. I, I think that's really valuable seeing that. I know in my own personal situation, I remember when we ticked over to a positive net worth from a negative one because yeah. we had we had so much student loan debt. We had mortgages. We had credit card debt. We had all that stuff. And I had an income. And I've got the, the balance.com and the CFP board. They've got all these calculators on on what your net worth should be. I'm going to go through those real quick because I know everybody's like, whenever we talk about this, people just want to know, am I okay? Yeah. And so let me give you some, I on track, some right? totally made up, like these are, <laughs> do, do not take these. These are just slight barometers. So basically this says in your 20s, don't worry. <laughs> At 30, uh, you want to be making, uh, you want to have a net worth that's half of your salary. And you want to have that in your retirement account. Then okay. it says at age 40, you want to have a net worth of twice your annual, annual salary or your annual income if you're if you there's two of you. At age 50, you want to have a net worth of four times your salary. And at age 60, you, it says you'll be on track with a net worth of six times your annual salary. So this is this is assuming that your salary is increasing as mm -hmm. you age. But so six times your salary at age 60 is what you're shooting for. Um, I know a lot of our listeners are probably, you know, 40, 50, 60. So at age 40, two times your salary, at age 50, four times your salary at age 60, uh, six times your salary is what you're shooting for. But knowing that is what you're going for. It's nice to have some sort of goal. You can set yeah. your own goal. That makes more sense for you. I just remember when we first ticked over to a, a positive net worth, which was probably at about age 30 for us. It was a huge deal. That would we would have been behind the uh, the benchmark that the balance gives. But man, watching us go from being worth negative to being worth positive was awesome, and it made me change some of the decisions that we were making. Like you said, there at, at age thirty, I, I think we were in the same boat. Um, you know, having a negative net worth is not fun. You did what you had to do. Um, you know, yeah. we made some sacrifices early on to be in the jobs that we wanted to be in to give mm -hmm. us the opportunities that we have now. We're pretty determined, I think. You can create a lot of damage in a short amount of time, and I mean that in a good way. When you when you tip the scales and you go back the other way, you can really make up a lot of ground once you're on the positive side of that balance sheet. What's funny about this conversation, I go back to, to a conversation I had my, with my wife not long ago, and I kind of told you about it, and uh, I forget what she called me. It was, uh, I think she called me witch doctor when I was giving her numbers. But <laughs> we were having a conversation. We're, we're talking about awareness of your financial picture and how the balance sheet is really, really transparent. It's hard to cheat the balance sheet. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, like, like you said before, when we pay off a debt, it really doesn't move our balance sheet much. We take an asset and we move it over, wipe out uh, a debt, and, and we're at the same spot. We get into the habit where we're trying to pay off debt dramatically. And you know, the progress that you make, it's a, it's addictive and you want to keep making project uh, progress. That's why the debt snowball yeah. works really well. You know, you yeah. have these little victories and, and you make up, make progress. Well, my wife and I are now at the point where we have just our mortgage and I come home from work the other day and she says, Hey, so I ran the numbers and in three years, if we do this, we'll have the mortgage paid off. And I go, no, 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 no. That's not the next step. It's not the next step. We need to do this first. And of course, I'm talking about the investments that we need to pursue first. And she says, no, 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 no. And I, I just want to be completely out of debt in three years. And I said, well, let's, let's sit down. And I got out the spreadsheet and I ran the numbers and I said, all right. So if we put this money towards the mortgage versus, um, you know, Roth IRAs and things like that, here's the net effect. Well, that meeting ended with whatever, which doctor, I guess I just have gotten used to paying <laughs> off debt. And I like that feeling and I, I like that progress. And for her, you know, seeing money in an IRA didn't mean as much as not owing anything. Yeah. But when you break it down and look at a balance sheet and you say, okay, I agree, pay off consumer debt and all that kind of stuff. But when you get to a certain point, you can say, this moves the balance sheet forward. It pushes us closer and closer to our goals where the other thing, we're, we're going to be there in a couple of years anyway. We're going to be all right. You know, th that's okay. Our mortgage is okay on our balance sheet. 
we're still paying it off sooner than what you know what we're scheduled to but i think that that can make those kinds of decisions a little bit easier and you say well yeah but look at what we'd be sacrificing on the balance sheet which is a good snapshot of our overall financial picture so i think the big thing is just creating awareness of the big picture yeah where you're at where you want to go using that as a barometer it's really really helpful we're not witch doctors i swear yeah we could probably make the numbers work in our favor however we want to i think that that's a, a valuable way of looking at things is how does it affect the balance sheet? How does this move financially affect our balance sheet? If we're going to do X, Y, or Z, what does that look like overall? Well, you can plug and play the numbers pretty easily and Mm -hmm. make an adjustment. So yeah, I don't know. Anything else to add on that one, Jason? I probably could add a lot. (laughs) I, I just, it's, I know that the balance sheet seems like an overly heady financial topic to a lot of folks. Hopefully we've established that it's fairly simple. Yeah, overly it, simple. It just, I just think it's so valuable uh, as as a something to consult while you're making financial decisions. It's like it's like listing your goals for fitness. No, it doesn't ever work for me because I still like <laughs> will eat ice cream instead. I I don't know. It's 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 awesome to see progress because mm-hmm. I know a lot of folks can get caught in that. Like 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 your wife was doing, like got used to paying off debt and just wanted like I'm going to continue this. That whole time that you're paying debt off from a balance sheet perspective is moving you either towards the positive or more and more positive. And if you're checking in on that, you can see how it goes. And then when you get to an appreciating asset like your home Mm -hmm. that is not going backwards in value and it is in fact usually historically appreciating in value and you do have a liability associated with it. Now you have to make more nuanced decisions. It's real easy when there's zero asset behind student, like you have student loans. Yeah. That's just a liability on the side. Yes, you you got something valuable out of it, but it's not like it's appreciating in value. It's your earning potential, ideally. Um, you want to attack those and get rid of those. You want to get rid of credit cards. You want to get rid of a car loan for a car that is now worth half of what you owe on it. Like you want to you want to attack all those things. It's a little more nuanced when you get to uh, a loan that you had for investment property or for your home or for a business. So I, I feel like it wouldn't be an episode of old fashioned finance if we didn't throw a bad analogy <laughs> in there. <laughs> when we're talking about the personal financial statement uh, or the balance sheet, if you will, uh, <laughs> versus the budget, I'll put it this way. we've you, you talk about dieting and how that doesn't work, but I am someone who yo-yos all the time and I'm back on the horse for a little bit here. I use an app that allows me to <laughs> set my my goals. What's my current weight? What's my target weight? What's my calorie intake every day? So the calorie intake is like the budget. If I'm just looking at my budget all day, but I'm not stepping on the scales to see where I am, how will I ever know if I'm progressing towards my goal? <laughs> I know. Bad, right? I had to throw it in there, though. All right. But really, it's kind of like stepping on the scales when you're on a diet. How do you know where you're at? <laughs> okay, I feel better, but <laughs> there's been many times that I felt like I was doing really well and found out that I had gained a few pounds. Yeah, you don't know unless you get a snapshot and actually see where you're at. So let's distill it down, Jason, for our listeners and uh, touch on a couple of key points here. What do, what do you take away from this episode? Yeah, I, I want people to know that net worth is better than your income or your current spending as a method to measure your success. Doing a balance sheet, finding out your net worth is a much better barometer than are you following your budget? You're staying within your budget. Maybe that's fine, but you might be making the wrong decisions within your budget to increase your net worth. The net worth is is better. It's important. You need to do that. Pretty simple. I think getting into the calls to action here would be create a balance sheet if you haven't done it already. We've challenged our listeners to create a budget. If you haven't done that yet, because I'm sure there are some of you out there, present company excluded, uh, <laughs> who have not created an official budget necessarily. Wait, did you guys, did you guys do a budget? Uh, we started talking about it a little bit more. We have a budget. It's so just no. not super official. Did you write it down anywhere? Mm, she's She's got it written down. Does she really, though? <laughs> yeah, no, she does. Okay. Um, it's just whether I stick to it real well or not. Um, Got it. But uh, if you're having trouble budgeting, here's a great place to start. Create a balance sheet and say where you're at. You probably have goals and have an idea of where you want to be. So see where you want to go, see where you're at today, and adjust the budget as kind of the path to get there. 
And the next step is really just keep doing it. Review your balance sheet periodically. You know, maybe quarterly works for you. Uh, Maybe it's every month. I don't know. But I think it should be something that should be done at least once a year, preferably whenever you're having an annual meeting with your financial advisor to see if you're on track. That's a great time to do it. I say this and it sounds really obvious, but Jason, as financial advisors, you know, I might not always uh, be real explicit about budgeting, but I can tell you pretty close to the penny what my net worth is. I could tell you about my balance sheet at almost any point in time. I can tell you what I owe on things and what I own. We don't hear a whole lot of that confidently when we meet with folks. We get a lot of those roundabout statements or roughly this or roughly that, but we find out those are pretty far off a lot of times. So yeah, we both like Carl Richards a lot. And he wrote a book called The One-Page Financial Plan. And there's a lot of good stuff in here about personal budgeting and creating a balance sheet. And one of the things that he, he mentions in the chapter about balance sheets is there is no guessing. There is no roughly. When you do this, do this. Go out to your online banking and find out exactly what's in your bank accounts. Go out to your brokerage and find out what's exactly in your IRAs. Check your 401k balances to the penny. Check your loan balances, your mortgage balances to the penny Mm and find out what your net worth is exactly. There's no getting around it. So that's the hardest part. But honestly, I think anyone could do this within 15, 20 minutes and and have a complete balance sheet um, at any point in time. Yeah, absolutely. It's not hard to do. Actually, it's quite uh, rewarding uh, to get it done so fast. And to have such an accurate picture of your personal finances, it's it's a powerful and simple, necessary thing to do. If you're having trouble creating a budget or a balance sheet, maybe try making a couple of Bloody Marys sitting down with the spouse and have a little fun <laughs> while you're doing it. Or jump into the speakeasy and we can help. We can we can link resources. It's 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 not that daunting and you should do it. Cool. Well, I think that was a lot of good stuff. Jason, why don't we move on to questions straight up? All right, so we have a question today. I'm not sure who this is from. It looks like anonymous. Um, The question is, should I take out a loan to buy investment property? Boy, that's a balance sheet question. (laughs) It sure is. That is a great balance sheet question. I think you consult your balance sheet to answer this. Now, you do have to consider the rate of returns, the risk involved with an investment property. I mean, right out of the gate, I'll tell you, I am not a fan of financing anything. I get, I get doing a primary home, especially if you're going to stay there for a while. That makes sense. I really don't advocate doing that because it's an appreciating asset and it's going to be a great investment long-term, though it certainly works out that way a lot of the time where you get equity and you can you know, you know sell the house and, and rotate that up. That might be the case with investment property like rentals. It could be the case with businesses and that sort of thing. Those are appreciating assets that you could consider going into debt for. I'm just not a fan of it. And I I don't I don't like debt, especially for investment property. But Caleb, you and I both grew up on the farm, and the rule is mm-hmm. they don't make any more ground. And if some becomes available, you buy it uh, because you're a small business owner, and you can use that ground to make more money. Uh, yeah. So what do you what do you think about this? Well, I don't. I, we could do farm finance as a series, or at yeah. least an episode. I mean, in, in that specific example, the problem is. Um, I think that if you have a pretty big operation and you can absorb the cost into your operation, look around here, I don't think anybody's cash flowing, uh, even though commodity prices are up. I don't, I don't think a lot of people are making great money on $12,000 an acre land, <laughs> regardless of how good commodity prices are. Um, you know, I, I, I put it this way. If you were starting out with no land, would you borrow money for land at that price. Well, no, you would look at it and say, well, I I can't make that work with commodity prices and input costs and things like that. I I think from that standpoint, what we see a lot when it comes to farms is really, um, this is close to my operation or it, it's, you know, butting up against my property. I'll never have a chance to do it again. And really, you know, my cash in the bank isn't working for me, so I'm just going to buy it. But you know, don't fool yourself into thinking uh, that you're cash flowing that and making it work. Um, that's a little bit different. I think we could do a whole episode on farm finance. That'd yeah, that's fun. a diff- that's a different beast. It's it's 
it really, you just have to weigh the cost. You have to weigh your risk tolerance with the return on investment that you should get. Obviously, the return on investment should cover a risk premium as well as your payment to leverage yourself uh, to get it before you do it. But my my general answer is no, don't. Take yeah, I mean, we've heard investment pro- property. Uh, and and you know, I, I put it this way. When you when you think about it, it's it, it maybe I'm being a little flippant here, but that's like saying, would you would you borrow money to put and, and would you pay interest to put money in the stock market? Right now, if interest rates are, you know, three, four percent, maybe mm-hmm. would you borrow money at three or four percent to throw it in the stock market and hope to average eight percent? Well, you can look at the numbers and say, oh, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend doing it. <laughs> People have been doing it. There's just a big risk risk involved with it. Uh, if like what's the actual risk? Are you going to go bankrupt if you do this and it fails? Well, that's probably too big of a risk to take. Mm-hmm. But but some folks can absorb that risk. Um it, it really this is this really depends. My pat answer is just no. It's it's too risky usually. Too risky. I like having no debt. Yeah, that's no debt. We've said this in an earlier episode. There's something about walking around knowing you don't owe anybody anything, and that's a dangerous person. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. So I think it's time for feedback. Jason, did anything come into the speakeasy this week? We have something from Amy. She says, good job. It's a good podcast and I'm podcast picky. (laughs) Well, that's high praise. Thank you, Amy. (laughs) You're picky and you choose to listen to us. That's great. We'll take it. Yeah. Hopefully you take something out of it. We are honored. Cool. Well, good show today. Yeah, thanks, Caleb. It was kind of a not quite touchy-feely, but it was was getting close there, wasn't it? I don't know. Hopefully people take some value out of it. I... I didn't like Bloody Marys, but I like balance sheets. So let's do balance sheets. And you can have a Bloody Mary if you want. You heard it, folks. Thanks for having a drink with us this week. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with all the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's BlueJFG.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Cheers. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction, unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.